Hi, I'm Pastor Stewart. I'm glad you're listening to this series on the healthy family. It's based on the book Family to Family by Dr. Jerry Peitsch and Victor Lee. It is my hope that in this series, you will learn how your family can be God-honoring and passing that faith on to generations to come. For more information, you can contact us at cbcstanton.org. By the way, this isn't written down anywhere. If you weren't taking notes before, jump in now because I don't have a handout or anything for this part. It provides a template for decision-making. In other words, when a decision comes up, see, if you don't have a purpose and an idea of what ought to be done, when somebody comes up with a good idea, you go, well, that sounds good. But a good idea might not be the best idea. You with me? I mean, almost anything you attempt in a positive way is a good idea. But it might not be the best idea for what you want to accomplish. And so it provides that template go, you know, that doesn't fit in. So we're not going to... We're not going to put it uh, in like that. It forms a basis for alignment. In a, in a company, when they hire a new guy, they, they hire a person to bring that job in alignment. You know, you wouldn't hire a donut maker to work on as an automobile mechanic. See what I'm saying? It, it, it just helps you align and focus. Fifthly, it welcomes helpful change. If you've got a purpose and somebody goes, you know, I think we could do it better this way. Now you've got your purpose in mind, you've got your direction, and you get a good idea, and you go, wait, that's better than the way we're doing it. Let's adopt that in. And so it, if it's a good change, you've got this, yeah, that fits in. Let's replace this with that. That's where this point is where maybe my saying would come in, good, better, best, never let it rest until the good is better and the better is best. Okay? I believe that, that saying. It shapes your strategy. You've got to have a strategy. The Bible even says the devil has a strategy, and we shouldn't be ignorant of his strategy. Uh, it, it uses a different word in the Greek, but the Greek, but if we translate it in modern English, it would be the word strategy. When we go to war, there's a strategy. When uh, a team, any sports team, plays a game, they have a strategy, um, and, and you've got to have it. And seventhly, it, it facilitates evaluation and improvement. Because now you say, this is what we wanted to accomplish, and after you do it, you go, did we accomplish that? Yes, no. Could we have done something better or different? Yes, no. How can we do it better in the future? And you start figuring that out. So this is a good thing, and this is a way in, in life that you can, um, that you need, uh, uh, sorry, that you need a, a mission statement. So I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua 24 with me, please. And don't forget Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, because that is kind of the beginning verse, and that carries through. I had it marked to read it, but I, I don't want to take too much time. I'll start preaching on that again. Uh, but, but Joshua 24, and verse 15 is the main verse, but let me back up at least to 14. This is Joshua, uh, before he dies, uh, getting everybody back together and saying, okay, here's the deal, okay? And in verse 14, he says, now therefore fear Yahweh, I know it says the Lord, but you'll notice in your English Bible, the word Lord is in all capital letters. And Jewish uh, people don't believe that we ought to spell it completely out or say the name of God, which is crazy. He told us to use his name so we can do that. I'm not saying they're crazy, I'm just saying that idea is crazy. And so, but in deference to them in our English Bibles, we don't use the word Yahweh or Jehovah we just put capital L-O-R-D. If it's capital L, small O-R-D, it means the boss, the dictator, the king. But when it's all capitals, it's the very name of God. So 
Joshua says here, Therefore fear Yahweh, fear Jehovah, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that, uh, that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. Now notice what he says there. Put away the other gods. That's what we were trying to get to last week. That our lives are cluttered and, and they're junked up with a bunch of stuff that is not bad. It's just not the best. Okay? And, and I'm getting you to trade the good for the excellent. The good for the better. Excellence is the standard. Ronald Reagan went and talked to the Olympic team during his, during his uh, uh, tenure as president. And here's what he said to the team, just before, all the American teams before they went out to compete. He said, let's go out and create a little excellence. Excellence is the standard, okay? And, and so he says, so to have excellence, you got to get rid of stuff. I, I'm going to say something about that later. And then verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, that your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Ammonites in whose uh, land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Joshua makes his mission statement. Here's my mission statement. Me and my family is going to serve Yahweh. And I believe, of course, the... Wives and ladies, you also have to agree with that and, and be in on that. But men, we, we're called to be the lead dog. Right? Why do we say lead dog? Because dogs are a pack animal and they always follow a leader. And so we, if, if you'll be the leader and take a step out, your people will follow. You say, oh, well, I don't know about that. Peter, I mean, John uh, chapter 21, the first verses. Peter, Jesus is gone, and they don't know what to do. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the next phrase says, and they all said, we're going with you. Jesus has said, you're the leader, man. When I'm gone, you're going to be the guy. And the first thing Peter leads them to do is go fishing. But he was fishing for fish, not fishing for men. And you go home and read John 21, because I can preach on that one for three hours, too. So I'm going to leave you that alone. But this verse that I just read may be familiar to you, because a lot of people say it. You've heard it a lot. I grew up in a house that... My dad was going to serve God the best of his knowledge and ability, the best he could. He had a sixth grade education. He was a shipfitter in the Navy Yard. That meant he fixed broken ships, worked with steel. But let me tell you something. He didn't drop us off at church. He led us to church. And I've said it a million times, so I'm not going to say it again. But my dad was committed to that. My mother as well. Going to church was not a question. In fact, I never thought to question that until I got older and people were saying, Oh, I don't know what to do. My child doesn't want to come. <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> it just, they just created that culture. But let me tell you, growing up as a little kid, there was this cheap little plastic thing above the gas log fireplace, because you don't really need a fireplace in Charleston. But anyway, this is the 60s, you know, the little plaque there above the fireplace. And guess what it said? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I read that over and over and over and over. And my mom and dad would point to it. We would read it at Christmas. We'd read it at Easter. We would think about that. We would talk about that. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That was it. And that was, there was a, just a period on that. It did not matter what we thought about it. 
So let me just say one more thing, and this is the thought I want you to take with you if you don't get anything else. Go ahead. If it's not written down, it's not real. Now, here's why, here's why I said it that way. One time I thought, hmm, it'd be interesting to get a real estate license, so I did. So if you're selling a house or buying a house, let me tell you something. Get it in writing. This is, man, they drove that in our head more than anything else. Get it in writing. If it's not written, it's not real. They said that over and over and over. Did you know you can put anything in a contract to sell a house or buy a house? Anything that both parties agree to, it's in there. But if you don't write it down, if they say, oh, no, just buy the house and we'll, we'll, we'll give you that. No, they won't. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. In fact, in the Bible, in the, in the Minor Prophets, God said, write the vision, make it plain. He tells us to write it down. He tells, why? Because we need that reminder. We, we didn't do it in, didn't talk about it in Deuteronomy. But he says, make it like a thing bumping you in the head, a, a phylactery they call it. They would make these little leather boxes and they would write down a little piece of scripture and put it in there. And every time it bumped on their head, they would think about what that verse said. They wrote it on the doorpost above the door and down the sides. Remember the plaque? They, they wrote it down. They, they, they had it, he said, as a front before your eyes. That Man, got to remember this, got to remember it. And what they wrote is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Didn't Jesus say something about that being the greatest commandment? We're going to come to that in a second. So, I just want to let you know to write it down. Now, here's my first point of, of your sermon today. And, and, and you actually have notes on it. Uh, in that little thing inside the worship folder if you got this. I know it says having a purpose because that was the first thing I, I said we would do. And then the, the, everything blew up. And I changed it to family purpose. Um, and, but these were already on their way to Richmond. So um, sorry about that. But first of all, first of all, there are options. Actually, the outline of the sermon, that's the, the, what's in that little folder is the last point. So don't worry about it now. But you might want to write this down. There are options. You don't have to serve the Lord. You don't have to. The consequences of not doing that are horrific. But you don't have to. I used to have a t-shirt that says, you know what happens to people that don't uh, believe in God? And then under it said, bad things, man, bad things. <laughs> it's all said. That's the truth. If you, you, but it's your option. You know, it's just like as a kid. You got options when your parents tell you to do something. My dad, I, I've told this story a thousand times, but my dad one time told me to do something, and I said, I don't have to. He said, you're right. There's only two things you have to do. Die and live till you do die. Now, inherent in that, I understood that if I didn't do what he said, I was going to die sooner than I thought. <laughs> but he let me know, you're right, son. You have options, but disobedience to them was going to be painful. He didn't say that. I just got it, you know. He didn't have to say anything after that because I wasn't a dumb kid. I was like, oh, okay, I get that. I'll do what you said. There is a choice to make. And if you don't make a choice, that is making a choice. You're sitting here and say, ah, oh, he's crazy. I don't even want to do this. Sounds too complicated. Sounds too crazy. Okay, you just made a choice. You do not want to set a direction for your family. You do not want to set it down in paper. This is what we're all about. And let me just tell you, you won't be perfect in doing all this that I'm talking about. It won't sound great. It, may, it might... And you may have to change it next week or next month or next year. You say, well, my kids are grown and gone. I don't need that. Guess what? Two people married are still a family. Well, I got grandkids. Well, don't you want to set a direction for your life to be a good grandparent to your grandkids? And be, still be, you're still a parent to your adult children. The relationship is shifted in its nature 
or, or in, in how you relate, but you're still their parents. They still need your advice. They still need your encouragement. They still need your prayers. And so you say, or, well, my kids aren't gone, but they're already teenagers. It's too late for them. It is never too late. It just, you just got to kind of do it because the family's got to agree together on the mission statement. I'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand, to not choose is to choose. You say, well, I just don't want to think about that right now. Okay, you just made a choice. You're not going to think about it. You're not going to do it. And so passivity is a, it always looks nice. When people say, oh, I just don't think I ought to do that. I, I don't think I'm equipped to do that or I'm, I'm good to do that. What you're saying is that you believe that your inability is stronger than God's ability to do something through you. I'm going to take a drink while you think about that so you can say amen. You say, ah, I'm not sure about that. Okay. The only thing in all four Gospels besides the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the feeding of the 5,000. And when you read all four stories, here's what you get out of it. Jesus looked at them and said, they came to Jesus and said, hey, we got this big crowd of people. And they got, they're hungry. They hadn't eaten in three days. And Jesus said, okay, feed them. I said, uh, Lord, I don't think you understand what we just said. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. We don't have enough food for them. We don't have any money to buy food. And if we had money to buy food, there's no store to go buy it from. What do you mean go feed them? He said, what do you got? They said, we got a couple fish, a few loaves of bread. He said, well, bring those to me. And he blessed it, broke it, and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Their inadequacy laid at the feet of Jesus his adequacy fed the multitude. We, Calvary Baptist Church, do not have the ability to put a gospel message in 50,000 homes in Augusta County. But guess what? Yesterday it happened. Why? I'll tell you why. Because of at least 35 churches decided that if God wants this done and he will use us to do a part of it, it'll get done. And so people from 35 different churches hit the streets yesterday and, and just roughly speaking, 50,000 homes got a copy of the gospel through a DVD, through a gospel track, and some information about the church closest to them, plus a card saying all the churches that cooperated in it. In case they didn't like the church closest to them, they, they got 34 other options there. And maybe there's somebody here today because that thing was hanging on your door and it had our name on it. So I appreciate you coming out. But, look, but just understand that. Because here's the other thing about making a choice. You can't say yes to something without saying no to something else. Because you are neither omnipresent nor all-powerful. Omnipowerful. Omnipotent is the word. You can only be in one place at one time doing one thing. So when you say yes to this, you said no to that. If you say yes to this, you said no to that. Remember, the highway of life is, is littered with the bodies of flat squirrels who couldn't make up their mind. Right? So you gotta make it, you gotta decide and move. And that's what Joshua says in chapter 24. You got choices. There were gods in Egypt, there were gods in the lands we've conquered. You've known them, you've seen them, you know who they are. Now decide whether you're gonna get rid of them and serve God or serve God or, or forget God and serve those gods. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're gonna serve Yahweh. He just laid it out there, and then as the leader said, this is what the leader's doing. And that's what we're called to do in our family. Secondly, 
Each family must decide. There's a choice, but each family has to decide. Let me just tell you, Father, you decide first, and you influence your family. When we talk about all of this, I, I, I know what happens. Some folks, maybe something happened with your child. They're not where they ought to be with the Lord, and you take, you get feel guilty and all that. Here, listen, you cannot make your kid do anything, especially once they become an adult. But what you can do is set an example in front of them so that when God speaks to them individually, they've got that example to follow. And we got the promise of God that he, once he starts a work in us, he doesn't, he doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. And so if you've started a work or if you start a work in your family, God will honor that. I, I just sincerely believe that. And so, Dad, you influence your household by your example. Um, I don't know if this is appropriate to tell right now. Maybe, I don't know. I'm going to tell about our first date. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> How's she going to say no in church? I, I promise she went no. I'd say okay. Okay, I met Janice on a Thursday, I guess, Thursday night, and we all went out to eat. It was at this little retreat thing. It's too long a story to tell the whole story. Uh, by Friday night, it might have been Friday night, but anyway, by the end of that night, I went, hmm, I think I need to talk to this girl more. And so the next day, we talked a lot, and by the end of that day, I knew I was going to marry her. Uh, in fact, that first night, I figured I was, and the next day, it was confirmed. And I didn't tell her that for months, because <laughs> that's stupid to tell her that. It scares her. So we get back to Charleston from this little retreat. And I said, can I call you as we're leaving? She goes, sure. We get back. She said, yeah. So we get back. And I start calling her. And it was Mother's Day weekend. So she'd gone to Georgia to see her mom. And I called her all day to invite her to a little church that I'm pastoring. And, and, and finally I get her like 30 minutes before church starts. Because I called her like every you know, 10 minutes for all day. And finally she said, hello. I said, hey, you're home. Uh, yeah. And I said, would you like to come to church? And then afterwards we'll go out to eat at Shoney's. And, and she said, she said, sure. Well, it took her 45 minutes to get there, so she came in late. When she came in, all the little ladies, I saw their heads bowed because they started praying, dear God, let her pastor marry her. Um, they didn't know that I, you know, anything, but they always, because I was a single pastor, and pretty girl comes in, they just go to praying. That was just their thing. <laughs> so we go out. Okay, she actually came over. She, so I said, you want to go out tomorrow night? She said, sure. So I pick her up the next night. She gets in the car, and I said, okay. I've got two rules. Sound like Barney Fife. Here on the rock, we got two rules. <laughs> rule number one, no writing on the walls. <laughs> rule number two, obey all rules. No. So uh, anyway, I said I got two rules. I said rule number one is that if I'm not man enough to put a ring on your finger, I'm not man enough to tell you who you can date and who you can't date. If we're going to go out together, this is dating is for the purpose of getting to know each other intellectually, to understand how each other think. Engagement is to get to know each other spiritually. We're going to be real careful about that because spiritual, bring, spiritual communion brings intimacy. And then, of course, marriage is for what's left over. I said, my second rule is, until I am man enough to put a ring on your finger... You don't have to worry about me trying to kiss you, whether you ought to kiss me goodnight at the door... Hold my hand because there is no physical contact in a romantic way before that ring goes on your finger. I know, that's kind of bold for a one-eyed fat man, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was a Rooster Cogburn quote. That's kind of bold for a skinny little redheaded dude, right? Ugly as homemade sin. I told you last week, God blinded her. Here's what she told me later. You're the first guy ever took me out and told me 
Here's my standard and I won't move from it. And there she sits, 32 years later, three kids, five grandkids. Semi-happy. No, <laughs> I'm very happy. She's semi-happy. That's what I'm saying. I'm telling you, folks, you, you can't beat taking the lead. Somebody will follow. I like that little saying, do something, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And, Dad, if you'll lead, your family will follow, period. It, it, I, I could give you statistics, but I, don't, I won't. And so Jesus had some overarching mission, some mission statements. And, and, and just so I don't get too late, I won't read them all. But in John 17, 20 and 27, that's his overarching mission statement. He said, you sent me here to bring these 12 into the fold or these 11 because I lost one of them. But we knew that before we did it. And, and now these, through them, there are going to be others who come to believe in you because of them. And I pray, God, that you make all of them one. That's Jesus' overarching purpose, to save people that needed to be saved through the testimony of the apostles with whom he worked so that all the church could be one in God, he says, as you and I are one. Help them be one as we are one, and then all of us to be one. We are, we are one with Paul. We are one with Peter. We are one with the church. That's why 35 churches yesterday, even though we got some different distinctives, could cooperate together to take the gospel that only Jesus can save through his death, burial, and resurrection yesterday. You understand? Because we are one. Even though we might argue over how to cook the potatoes, we are one. Right? Just trying to help you see that. And then, and so here's another one of his overarching statements. In Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. So another statement of Jesus that this is my purpose is to look for those who are lost, who are outside the will of God, and bring them into the will of God. That's part of his purpose, and that was his mission statement. Another one was, in John 18, 37, he says, I came to bear witness of the truth. And who is the truth? God is truth. There is no truth other than God. All truth is from God. There is no truth outside of God. And the Bible puts down... The truths that we need to know. And if anything does not fit into this Bible, it is not truth, but a lie from the enemy. Okay? And there are people that believe lies. There are people out there that, that, uh, that, that absolutely are confused and believe lies of our enemy. In fact, the Bible says, if our gospel be hid, in Corinthians it says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are blinded, whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes, lest they see the glorious light of the gospel. That's why Jesus told me, we have to bind the strong man in order to spoil his house. And then... So, and then the third big statement Jesus made out of like 15 that I'm just going to look at for our purposes. In Matthew 20, 28, he said, For the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, why do I point those out? Because Jesus had mission statements that he did. He served us by going to the cross and dying for us. He bore witness to the truth. He revealed God to us. He was seeking and saving the lost, and he's still doing that through his body, the church. Amen? And, and we are one. We are one in Christ. A second overarching command of Jesus is then to evangelize the world. You're very familiar with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Jesus, I'm quoting Jesus. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. Just think about that. Go ye, you go therefore. The word therefore means see what it's there for. Because I have all authority. You go and take the gospel to every living creature. 
Then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teach them how to do everything that I've commanded because I'm going with you always, even to the end of time. So guess who's here today? Guess who's here today? Guess who's here today? Jesus. Let's say it together. Jesus. Yes, he's here because he said he would be. Yesterday when we went out, nobody went alone, nobody went in pairs, nobody went with fours. We all went with Jesus. Because he says, I'm with you when you go. I'm with you as you do this. This is his, his overarching purpose. And, and in, in those commands, he has all authority. He told us to make disciples. He told us there's no border to that. In all the world, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, in Acts 1.8, he tells us that, that, that we are without those borders, that we bring uh, into meaningful fellowship the people that are saved, and then we teach them how to do what Jesus taught us how to do. That is the purpose of why we exist. So we start as an individual, but then the next part of that is our families. We've got to do that in our families. So now we come to you filling in a couple of blanks in here and I explaining this. There are four steps to make a family mission statement. Because here's your assignment. I'm going to give you some other things in a minute. But your assignment is to go home and begin working on and write out a mission statement for your family. Now, you don't do that like dad just writes it out and goes, this is it, guys. Uh, that's dictatorship. This is a family process, but dad takes the lead, okay? Um, secondly, there's nobody exempt from this. You say, well, I'm single. Well, guess what? I had a mission statement in my head for what I did as a pastor, but I also had rules for when I was going to meet my wife. And I told her those rules. This is how this works. Sorry, just thought of a funny story, but I'm not going to share. Um, it's only funny to me. You might not like it. Um, the first thing is take a family inventory. That's the first block, block up there. Number one, take a family inventory. And under that are some, some things that that means. What are you already doing as a family? What activities do you engage in as a family? Not taking Johnny to football and Susie to dance and... Mom to yoga and dad's gone off to the hunt club. What do you do together as a family? What motivates you? How would other people describe your family? Especially people who know you well. How secure are we in each other's love? Is that understood and known? Because it is worked upon and generated? What things are we afraid of? What are you afraid of as a family? What is missing or lacking in our relationship? Because there's something missing or lacking. It's true in all of us. And that's constant. We're well, constantly working on this stuff. What's the spiritual environment of our family? Who's setting that spiritual tone? And what are our priorities? So you just sit down and start asking y'all, yourselves those questions. You might, if your kids are older, hey, y'all, y'all answer these for yourself. Write them down. You write them down. Your wife write them down. Y'all figure that out. So you take an inventory. Then second step is consider your goals. What do you have as a goal as a family? Are you just surviving until the kids get old enough to move out? There was a couple, they were 93 and 91, they were getting divorced. Somebody said, how long have y'all been married? They said, over 60 years. I said, well, why are you getting divorced now? I said, well, we didn't want to hurt the children, and the last one died last week. So, I know, that's a horrible joke, isn't it? Some people are just holding on. Listen, God doesn't want you to just hold on. He wants to make your family 
a thriving, serving, productive family. So consider your goals. What does your family stand for? What values do you live by? How will needs be addressed and problems solved? What activities will be important to our family? What is the desired outcome for our family? Is there a scripture verse or verses or a passage that summarizes our intention? I tell you my family had one. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's just it. I, and, and listen, last week, honey, you weren't here. I told everybody, you said, don't use our family as an example. And I did a lot last week. So I'm just told on myself, so now you can tell her. I don't care. But, but I, 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 I'm, I'm still debating in my head whether to tell you this or not. But it just had to do with my son. He, he's off at college on his own. And he was going to live in this one place. He went to junior. He went to community college. I still call it junior college. I'm old. Community college in Lynchburg. That's he did two years there. Reduced the cost of going to school because he had to pay his own way anyway. And two weeks before it started, he didn't have a house to go live in. So we got started doing research. Uh, he, he was going to live someplace, and that fell apart. And so we started doing research, and we found this kind of an apartment complex type thing, and it was full of only college students. Most of them going to Liberty University, and, but it wasn't an official dorm of Liberty University. And so there was a spot, a bed, and a four-guy room. And so he got that one spot. And so he never even met these guys, and he goes to live there. And we didn't hear a lot about that that year because he didn't want to scare us. But then his best friend said something about the, the police raid at Ian's apartment. What? <laughs> so he said, yeah, I was coming home from work. He says, I'm pulling in. There were police cars all over the place. And I said, okay, either one of the older residents has died or my roommates got busted for drugs. And it was the second. So as he's walking out to the apartment, police are everywhere. He said, he walked in and the cop goes, who are you? He said, I live here. He said, right there, that's my bedroom. The guy said, can I search it? He said, sure. He opened the door. Probably had to straighten it up to search it. But anyway, <laughs> he searched it, and they came out, and he said, I didn't find anything. He says, yeah, I don't do drugs. And he goes, yeah, I know your roommates already told us that you, you don't do that stuff. But we had to search it. And so he and the policeman went outside, and they're sitting there, and he's watching this row of kids. And the cop looks at him and says this. So do you go to Liberty? He said, no, sir. He said, huh, isn't that funny? You, are, you and I are the only people sitting on this wall that don't go to liberty. They're all being busted for drugs. Mom and dad, what values will you instill in your kid even if you send them to a Christian college? I went to one of the most wide open for Jesus, you better be a missionary kind of school there was. And every year people got kicked out for doing the weirdest stuff. Listen, what will keep your kid, hopefully, and turn him back is what you do. What is the purpose of your family? Now, let, let me just tell you, my son's not perfect. He's learning enough himself. Thankfully, that little illustration, he didn't. He didn't do that part. In fact, one of his friends one time asked him, what do you do? And he said, I'm outside a lot. <laughs> He's got nothing else to do. He goes, runs up and down mountains. I mean, that's just what he does. Number three, conceptualize the statement. 
Now, there are no fill-in-the-blanks here because you've got to fill them in. Conceptualize it. When you, what is it we want to do? So conceptualize the statement. Number three is conceptualize, but then under that is a bunch of blanks. But I don't have any fills for those because you've got to do that. As a family, we will stand for blank, living by the values of blank, needs, conflicts, and issues will be addressed by blank, and it's based on the scripture verse or passage and fill in the blank. Now, you do that one time just kind of as, a, as an aid after you've done the first two. And then step four is fine-tune and personalize the statement. Now you look at it as a family and go, well, this is what we kind of came up with from our discussion. What do you think? And you start changing words and all that. And let me, let me just say, as kids get older, you change it. As they leave the house, you change it. As you get grandkids, you change it. But you do it as a family. Everybody participates. This is not a top-down thing. This is a family saying, as a family, what do we want to see? Your kids want something from you, mom and dad. What they want is leadership and godliness. They want to see you taking the lead in your family. They want to look up to you and not be in charge of you. Trust me in this. It's what they want. I don't think that we were ever like dictators, but our kids knew what we stood for and what we did not do. And, and I'm grateful that, for the children God gave me because I, I can take very, 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 very little credit for that. But what's on the next page is examples of other family statements. So you can look at those kind of help you out. That's what is there for. On the back is another list of scriptures. It's different from the one last week. You can use those reading this week as a family. And as always, at the bottom, I want to make sure I give credit to this book uh, because that is where I'm getting kind of the ideas that I'm presenting. And if you want to get a copy of that book, this is, a lot of this will be explained in detail and more because I only got a few minutes on Sunday morning. So what can you do this week other than what I've already given you? Because that's a lot. First of all, individually, you need to make a choice. And remember, to not decide is to decide. I can't say that enough. That was taught to me by the wisest man who, who lives or lived in my lifetime, in my estimation. Uh, he's obviously not the wisest man to ever live, but he was a pretty smart guy. And he said, to not to choose is to choose. And that's just true. And then, secondly, read those scriptures that are provided and use them in discussions this week. Sit down with your kids. Say, what do you think? What, what do you think our family ought to be about? What do you think we ought to be doing? How, you know, and, and, you know, they may think, you know, your purpose in life is to go buy me candy or something. I don't know. And number three, begin the process to make that family mission statement. Just bring that to a head. Go, this is what we're about. And, again, all of this is done together, all right? You may have to break out and just everybody write down their own idea and come together and talk about it. But you just do this together. And if you can do it in a week, that's great. But it may take a lot more than a week to get to it. Because somebody might come up with an idea and it shocks you, or you're like, well, we can't do that, and well, I think we can, and then you've got to have a discussion about it. But at the end of it, you're going to make a statement. Here's what, here's what I've learned. I, I've been on, y'all know what a camel is? That's a racehorse built by a Baptist committee. <laughs> so I get that. Actually, they're very fast, but still illustrates the point. Here's what I found serving and being around a bunch of committees, a bunch of groups of people making a decision. Nobody can ever make a decision until somebody makes a decision. What do I mean by that? We'll sit around, we'll bat this and that, and some guy will go, let me tell you, here's what we need to do. Bam, that's what we're going to do. And then somebody goes, I don't agree with that. Why not? Now you're off to the races. Now we're going to get to the point, okay? And so I have suggested things that are ludicrous just to get people talking right. <laughs> 
Because when you're, when you're in a big discussion, every idea needs to be put on the table, good and bad. And I'll always start with the worst thing I can think of. How about that? No, that's no good. I didn't think so, so let's not talk about that. How about that? And you just, you just work that through. And that's what you need to do as a family. Sit down and say, Dad, Dad say, okay, here's, here's what I'm thinking. What are you guys thinking? Now, don't say in a such a way like, here's what Dad's thinking. You don't have any other thoughts, do you? You know, you can't do it that way. I, and I can't say we did this with our, our, I wish I'd have known this back then. Maybe we would have done this with our kids, but we didn't. But we had discussions with our kids every night. We talked about what we do, what we believe, how we, how we exist. And so though it might not have been written down, I wish it had been. You need to have an idea because I'm telling you, for me, that Joshua 24, 15, I've never gotten away from that. I've also never gotten away from a statement I read for three years in a row, which is to know him, to make him known. That's the purpose of our life, to know Christ and to make him known in life. I, I, I ran into someone from... The last church I served before here, many of you probably don't know about that, but uh, it's Calvary Evangelical Baptist Church in Portsmouth, Virginia. It's an African-American majority church. And uh, we were somewhere the other day, and I saw a guy who served on staff there. And guess what he did? He walked up beside me, and he said, Reverend McCartney, that's what he called me. And he said, to know him and to make him known. I said, that's right. He goes, that's it. I said, that's it. That's simple, isn't it? He caught a vision from me to know him, or mission, to know him and to make him known. That's what y'all are in Sunday school, or hopefully that's what Ecclesiastes said, right? It said, much studies of weariness of the flesh and making many books, there's no end. But let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And our goal in life and our job in life is to know him, to make him known. Calvary Baptist Church exists to glorify God by strengthening and planting churches around the world. That's our mission statement. How do we describe that? CBC, called by God to become his disciple and carry his message. To know him and to make him known. See how all three of those things say the same thing? We just said it different ways. It's there, it's plain, it's, it's easy to see. Now we got to start learning how to operate on that and not on every good idea that comes along because there's a lot of good ideas. But we need to, what we do, it needs to come into that. 